Oregon football offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham gave us just a little bit of insight of what the offense is actually going to look like once Oregon takes the field. We won't fully know until the spring game, but a little bit of insight as to what we should expect as the Ducks try to score points this year with our new offensive coordinator. And Kel L. Ware has the potential to be a star for Dana Altman in Oregon basketball. Will he actually be a star? We look at that today on Locked on Ducks. Here we go. You are Locked on Ducks. Your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, like you can see here on my shirt. Your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every single day. Like and subscribe wherever you are listening to and or watching the show. Leave a nice comment. Leave a nice review. Always appreciate all of that. You know what else I appreciate this springtime? is having football to talk about again. Gosh, it's glorious and it just I can't wait for September. It's 5 months away. We will be the, we will be here with you the entire time and all through the season whatever it looks like. And there's a lot of questions right now for Oregon football fans about what the offense is going to look like. There's a potential quarterback battle brewing up in Eugene between Ty Thompson and Bo Nix. Talked about that a lot on yesterday's show. I'll have on Mike Black of the Ducks and Dogs podcast, talk about it on tomorrow's episode. But Kenny Dillingham gave us just a a little bit of insight talking to the media about what the offense is going to look like. Very energetic guy, by the way, Kenny Dillingham. You know, some guys don't, uh, don't turn it off, so to speak, right? Like there's like Saban, I would say is a guy who turns it off, right? He's one way on the field with his players. He's another way talking to the media. Dillingham seems like he's just He's just going all the time. I think that's you know a, a reason that that young guys can relate to him, and that's what Ty Thompson has at least said that that he feels very close with him, and that his kind of youth and energy is a reason for that. But he said, "This is a quote, and uh, this is just this is straight from Dillingham. This is not me. This is what he said: quote, fast-paced, pro-style offense that will go under center." You can't always take a lot out of one sentence, but I'd tell you what, there's a lot to get to there for Duck fans. So first of all, I don't think any offensive coordinator, no matter who it is and when it is, will ever be able to meet Oregon fans' traditional standard of what a fast-paced offense is. Because back in the day, as we all recall, college game day was putting a timer on times between snaps. No one's ever going to go that fast for the Ducks. I believe Oregon, I believe he said also that Oregon will huddle more than they have in the past. But when you hear the the phrase pro style offense, I'm sure a lot of you think of a lot of under center, single back, I formation, you know, kind of like Stanford has basically been over the years. They've started to open it up a little, but they still do a lot of heavy sets. That's probably what you think of. That's not exactly what Kenny Dillingham is saying when he says a pro-style offense. One of the differences offensively between college and the pros is how you deal with matchups. Because the coaching is typically at a higher level and the players are are faster and and smarter and able to cover more gaps and such, every scheme that you run in, in the college game can't translate to the NFL. And so what that results in is a lot more one-on-one matchups. And so 
pro-style schemes are typically set up around creating advantageous one-on-one situations because that's an easier thing to accomplish than trying to just scheme a guy wide open. Whereas in college, it's a lot more likely to happen. Just, you know, watch any weekend of football in the big 12 and you can see that. So that's what he's saying. Getting guys, the ball in space, getting guys, the ball in a one-on-one situation specifically. And he says that a lot. This is not the first time he said it, but as spring practice has rolled along, he has reinforced that that's his offensive philosophy. So I, I'm a fan of that, right? I think it will be a little different in terms of, you know, the number of 50-50 balls, which I don't think Oregon has utilized at all, really, in honestly the last decade or so. I mean, it's it's been quite some time. We just haven't had the bodies at receiver, right? There's a Darren Carrington every now and then, a Dylan Mitchell or Devin Williams the last couple of years. But the number of one-on-one 50-50 balls that Oregon as an offense through multiple coaching staffs has thrown up, really not that numerous. And I think that we'll see more of that, especially with bodies like Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton on the outside who are big, tall receivers known as the skinnies, of course. A lot of Duck fans want to unleash the skinnies. But when Dillingham is talking about getting one-on-one situations, I like hearing that because I really like the skill position players that Oregon has, not just the skinnies, but the tight ends. Uh, is Seven McGee, the running backs, Seven McGee, a uh, bunch of other guys, maybe a little more Seven McGee. And I, I mentioned Seven McGee often here on the pod for two reasons. Number one, I've always liked Oregon having a hybrid player on offense, and they've always sort of had that, right? I think DeAnthony Thomas was sort of the first one. Barner lined up his receiver a little bit back in 2009, but that was mostly, I mean, kind of. He kind of counts, but I definitely consider Kenya more of just a straight running back. But the hybrid players are DeAnthony Thomas, Charles Nelson, Jalen Red. I always like having that guy there because you line him up in the slot and it catches the defense's attention, right? Is he going to go in motion? It sets up play action off of a jet sweep. You obviously give it to him on the jet sweep. We saw that used effectively a season ago with Joe Moorhead as the OC, and I hope we continue to see that with Seven McGee, who most recently was lining up with the ones in the slot receiver position, which we'll see if that holds out. And if he beats Chris Hudson to be the number one slot receiver, that would be quite a jump, but He's got the speed. He's got the skill to to maybe be able to do that, though Hudson, also a very talented guy, as we all know. The other reason I like Seven McGee a lot, who should be a primary kick into our punt returner this year, is I always really like Jalen Red. And every time we were getting him the ball, you know, for all the flaws that the Marcus Arroyo offense had, I thought they used Jalen Red very well in the screen game and in jet sweeps. And I, I think the, the Taggart administration did that pretty well, too. And this past season, I felt Jalen Red was really underutilized. And that was partly the offensive scheme and, you know, also partly that as a whole, Anthony Brown just struggled to get the ball to wide receivers on a consistent basis. And Red is lining up as a wide receiver, but I just didn't think they used him enough in that jet sweep action. And so I thought that, you know, Seven McGee showed that potential a number of times in the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon State. There, there's just a lot of examples of him showcasing that blazing speed. I want him to get the ball in space. So when I hear Kenny Dillingham say, we want to create one-on-one situations, my mind immediately goes to two spots. The skinnies on the outside for 50-50 balls on the sideline and Seven McGee getting the ball in space. Maybe he's the third option on, on a triple option like Kenyon Barney used to be. Maybe he's getting the ball on a swing pass out of the backfield like Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell did 
on on numerous occasions under the Joe Moorhead offense. I, I think that those are all things that that Oregon fans should be excited about because these are high-level skill players, I, I think, and they're relatively young and unproven. I understand that, but from what we've seen, I like the potential. So the idea of trying to set them up and let them make plays rather than having to scheme them open, I think that could go well for the Ducks. There's another thing that he talked about in there, that the Oregon offense could go under center. A surprising amount of content to unpack with that. But first, I want to tell you about Bill Bars. Time of year, look, no one's committing to the New Year's resolutions at this point. They've all bailed on them. But if yours back in the day, which was somehow like three months ago, I think, time flies when you're having fun. If it was about eating healthy, you got to make sure you include it. Built Bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're covering 100% real chocolate, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. So the final piece of that sentence from Kenny Dillingham, and there were a number of things he talked about. I love the way he spoke about teaching quarterbacks. You know, someone asked him a question, you know, what do you like about uh, about seeing the young quarterbacks come in and compete and grow? And he talked about, you know, helping them grow within the game of football, right? Is, you know, he's he's trying to instill that mindset of when you mess up, don't look at it as, oh my gosh, I'm no good. I'm not going to get this, but I need to get better. So how do I get better? What do I need to do? What's the read? And then when he sees that sort of materialize, he says that that's an intensely gratifying thing, which I would totally understand. If I were a coach, seeing your players, you know, learn and grow within the offensive system, I think would be a really cool thing to see. And so I like the way he talked about that and the way he talks about these quarterbacks in, in high regard. You know, it's, Apparently an open competition. We'll see if that plays out. I would still think Bo Nix is the favorite, but Ty Thompson is getting some first team reps and maybe that'll change. Maybe another day it'll be Bo Nix's turn to take reps with the ones. And then maybe another day they'll throw Jay Butterfield in there. We don't know, but that's probably the biggest storyline for Oregon football as they practice here in the spring is how are they handling the quarterback situation? And that's something we will continue to monitor here on Locked on Ducks, which is why you should like and subscribe wherever you're listening to and or watching the show if you have not already. So the final part of the sentence from Dillingham when he said fast-paced, pro-style offense that will go under center. That was something that in a not totally significant way, but also in a major way, if that makes sense, stood out. Is it in the grand scheme of things, a huge deal that our offensive coordinator said, yeah, from time to time, we'll go under center. We believe in presenting that threat. He said, you know, the play action that comes off of that is valuable. You get up there, do a quarterback sneak every now and then on a third or fourth and short, which I'm sure a number of Duck fans might be relieved to hear about after the insistence of always going shotgun on third and fourth and short. And look, I don't really care. I just want him to pick up the third and fourth and short. That's that's all that matters. And definitely not a fan of the pistol because that did not convert on short yardage situations at a very high clip. And I think they adjusted to that a season ago, but maybe we'll see some quarterback sneaks and the quarterback sneak. If you got a big body back there is pretty tough to stop. Bo Nix, Ty Thompson. Those are big bodies. that would be pretty tough to stop, especially when you get the, you know, Bush push style shove from your running back coming behind. But it got me thinking in uh in a significant way in that it stood out. If I'm making sense here, like, it's not that big of a deal, but when he said it, my mind went, oh my gosh, we could be under center? Whoa, who, when was the last time? And I got to thinking, I do actually remember the last time 
Oregon football took a snap under center. If memory serves correctly, I don't believe it happened during the Taggart or Cristobal eras. Uh, I know Helfrich definitely did not. But my mind went back to the last under center snap for Oregon. I remember seeing that wasn't a victory formation. Well, Michael James was getting tackled in the end zone by Nick Fairley for a safety. The last time before that, we were running the fly sweeps. We borrowed from the Oregon State offense with James and Jaquiz Rogers back in the day. Those two were a tandem. Man, they were good. But we were giving those fly sweeps to Barner in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State the first time around. And it was working right until a Garrett Blunt kicked the ball through the end zone. So maybe since then, Oregon just decided as a program, let's just bail on this whole under center thing. So maybe, maybe not. Um, in terms of whether or not it'll be a great idea, but look, I, I'm not opposed to it, right? In in a in a serious sense. Oh, also, side note. Talking about that Nick Fairley tackle of Michael James in the end zone, I wish we'd have would have just gone play action four verticals, but 22 to 19, still the weirdest score in a national championship game I think I've ever seen. Don't know if we will ever see one as strange as that. Oregon went for two on both their touchdowns. They scored. Auburn got the safety. Like it's just just a wild, a wild, wild score. So a quarterback sneak every now and then. Sure, it could be nice. But Dillingham talked about it in the context of presenting the threat. Right, is being under center and not just for quarterback sneaks, but also you know running the ball and understanding the zone play action. And by the way, Chip Kelly does that at UCLA right now all the time. I think there are a lot of elements to the under center offense that have allowed it to continue to thrive in the NFL or in certain offenses in college as well. So I'm not opposed to it. I, I'm not someone who's going to say that I've been on the sidelines here clamoring, like, we need to go under center. We have to do this. No, we have to do whatever works. And Oregon ran the ball well this past season, but the passing game was a little bit limited. And if a play-action rollout from an under center look is what the Oregon quarterbacks need to get themselves into space and, you know, throwing from a, a comfortable position on the move. And if that's what you need to exploit the defense, fine, do whatever works. Like, I'm I'm totally good with it. The other thing Dillingham mentioned was the possibility of utilizing an H-back in, in a shotgun formation. That's essentially, you know, like an offset tight end. So he mentioned the names uh, Maliki Montevau, Terrence Ferguson, Spencer Webb uh, as potential H-backs in the offense, which is not something Oregon showed a ton of last season. Primarily, they were just traditional tight ends lining up as you know a quote-unquote why in an offense is what you'd call it but i'm a fan of using those guys in every way you can oregon's ridiculously deep at tight end in my opinion and i think that those three guys i mentioned that's not even all of them i mean cam mccormick is in the room patrick herbert is there uh there's one who definitely one i'm missing dj johnson was playing tight end he's now playing outside linebacker or defensive end so I, I'm a fan of using all of them as much as possible. They're versatile, they're skilled, and I, I just I, I want to get our playmakers the ball. And that goes back to the one-on-one situation. Line up Spencer Webb outside and do the Stanford-style fade into the end zone. I'm so on board if we want to do that, and that's the sort of one-on-one -on -one that Kenny Dillingham is, is looking to create. So interesting stuff there from our offensive coordinator. We will all be anxiously waiting the spring game. I know to understand, you know, exactly how it's going to look and the sorts of formations and styles. And we'll be breaking it all down for you right here on the show. Uh, qu quick note before we get to Oregon basketball, I'm not even kidding. This is totally true. And I was laughing about it in my kitchen this morning while I was getting breakfast ready because I had to remind myself that this didn't happen. I had a dream last night. I'm recording this on Monday. So Sunday night, I had a dream 
that Tosh Lupoy, our defensive coordinator, left Oregon to go work for a major league baseball team. I'm not even kidding. I don't remember what the job was. I just had that moment in the kitchen where I was thinking back to the dream and went, wait, he didn't go to. No, that didn't happen. That was, <laughs> that was not real. So I thought I would share that. Is Kello Ware Oregon basketball's next star for Dana Altman? I'll tell you after I tell you about Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championship odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. There's a lot of great prop bets once uh, the Masters ones get posted, I believe. You can just look at winners right now. Winners are a sucker's bet, but you can check it all out. Bet Online, where the game starts so kello Ware, five-star center out of north little rock arkansas class of 2022 will be on the oregon basketball team in the fall this year and th- there are high expectations i would say for him understandably so he's a top 20 recruit in the country i believe he's number 16 and i think a reasonable question to ask is is he going to be Oregon basketball's next star? Is he going to have the sort of career where we look back and go, or, you know, maybe it's one season because he's a physically gifted guy. could be a one and done, but we'll have to see how, you know, he produces as a freshman and such, but it's a reasonable question to say, can he be a number one? Can he be a leader? And it's possible. I suppose I don't see him being a true number one on the team just because of the nature of the position he plays. Is he going to be a high impact player? I expect him to be. Yes. So and, and what what should we expect from him is he'll definitely play as a freshman. The question is how he will play and how much he will play because he is six eleven, seven feet tall. He is very athletic and he's listed as a center. Now, when I when I think about the Oregon basketball roster, Going into 2022, as it currently stands, and as I'm recording this, Will Richardson, Quincy Garrier, Davion Harmon, and Fale Dante, all as of right now, coming back to the Ducks. Jacob Young, of course, done. Eric Williams uh, announced that he's going to begin his professional career. Best of luck to Eric out there. So, where could slide in a couple positions? I personally would play him at the power forward, right? With Frank and Infali in the middle. If you want to go, you know, a little bit of a smaller lineup with Quincy at the four and Kellel at the five, I think that that's fine from time to time. But I mean, if you're looking at a starting lineup right now, I would play him as a power forward, have Quincy at the three and one of the big fellows roaming the paint because I think that gives you a lot of length, athleticism, shot blocking, but also versatility. And when you just watch him play, you know, he needs to learn as part of the 24-7 scouting report. He has to learn how to play through physicality and with physicality as well. That's going to be one of the adjustments he'll have to make when he starts playing Power 5 Division One college basketball. So I think that easing him into the lineup and not forcing him to be down low, I think the best way to do that is to have him play the stretch four because he can step out and shoot. He's got a clean release. He can catch and shoot. He hits from distance. There's no issue there. So you don't have to worry about having two non-shooters on the court, which you definitely don't want to have in, in basketball in 2022. It's just not something you can afford. You can have one and get away with it, but you definitely cannot have two. It's why Franken and Folly basically never played together this past season because neither one can really even hit a mid-range jumper reliably at this point in their careers. But when you watch Kello where he, he can dribble, he runs the court well, 
He, he throws down very athletic dunks. He's very capable of catching lobs. You know, I'm picturing a zone offense, which was a problem for Oregon this past year, where you got one of the big fellows sitting at the free throw line and Kello Ware roaming the baseline or going around on, on the perimeter. I think that that's a really valuable piece. But I think that the the star expectations are going to be very, very high, right? He's, he's a five-star recruit, and he's a big name. He's very physically impressive. If you watch even just this highlight tape, and I don't have access to full games, so that's what I'm operating off of here, but a lot of his highlights are based off of his athleticism. What I mean is he's playing high school basketball in in Little Rock, Arkansas, so he's not exactly coming from you know one of the, the CIF leagues in, in California, right, or a league down in Florida or Texas where they have a lot more bodies who could maybe give present more of a challenge to him, right? And so... I think that there's going to be a big adjustment there. I, I don't see him getting a lot of early post touches in one-on-one situations. I think he will play a true stretch four or stretch five, depending on how Dana wants to manipulate the lineups there. But I, I'm really, I, I have high hopes for him because I think he can get to a very, very high ceiling just because of his physical traits, the likes of which most players cannot get to. But I don't actually expect him to come in and be Oregon's number one go-to guy, dominate right away. I think there will be a, a buildup. I think there will be an adjustment period in there. And, and I, I expect him to be productive even once he starts playing as a freshman. And I assume he would be in the starting lineup. But I bet that... You know, and you can save the receipts on all of this, and I'm happy to be wrong and such. But I imagine that, you know, the college basketball season starts, I think, sometime in November and goes, you know, at least when Oregon does what they're supposed to, which is make the NCAA tournament. And hopefully they'll be back there next year. Goes all the way through March. It's about, you know, four or five months of the year. I bet you the last two to three months of the year will be more productive than, than the first couple statistically, right? As, I think that once he, you know, starts to understand how to play with his size, how to be physical, how to, you know, use his athleticism and skills rather than just having them exist and that be it, right? When, when you watch a lot of the highlights, there's no one on the court physically who can match up with him. So he has to learn how to play against his against his equals, essentially, because there's no one who's exactly as physical as him, but there are bigs who will try and push him around, who will try to keep him out of the paint, who will throw an elbow every now and then when the ref isn't looking. So he has the physical traits to be a star, right? Kind of like he reminds me a lot of Chet Holmgren. He actually weighs more than Chet Holmgren. He's 15 pounds heavier than, than Gonzaga's standout freshman from this past year. But when you watch Chet play, he was often neutralized by guys who were shorter than him, but who were, who were bigger, who were stronger. And, and Ware will need to get into the weight room and, and need to put on a few pounds and such and just kind of have a mentality change and understand he can't just coast through and you know dominate the way that, that he did in high school. He has to learn to, to use his skills a little bit more in, in a prolific sense. He's capable of doing that. He's got the skills. Everything he does, he makes look very easy because for him – it sort of is, and he's just such a unique physical body that the the ceiling is very, very high. But, you know, Chet Holmgren this year averaged 14 points, just under 10 boards, and three and a half, four blocks a game. I, I think Kel Elware could get to that level of production. I don't expect him to be there right away. You know, I, I think if in his freshman year, 
by the end of it, right? When you look at all the stats from the entire season, if he's averaging, you know, around 10 points, six to seven rebounds, one to two blocks per game, I think that would be a, a guy who who's coming on strong at the end of the year, right? And we'll be raising his averages up because I think that in the early going, he won't play a ton, but I think he'll start to, you know, get more comfortable, get in the system, understand what it takes to play Division One college basketball. And then he'll start to be a high-impact player. I expect him to play from the start. I would assume he will be in the starting lineup from the time he gets onto campus. And, you know, ultimately uh, the, the season starts later this year in November, which I'm excited for. But I, I think that the expectations should not be that this guy is going to come in, average a double-double and four blocks a game from the moment he steps on the court. He has the physical traits to put up those sorts of numbers. I just don't see him happening right away, but the potential for him there in this lineup with the players he could have around him, he could be a very, very good player for Dane Altman and the Ducks. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.